Well, how many of you guys are puzzle people? Show of hands. Okay, where are my nerds at? Yeah, okay. Uh, I, I'm not a, a puzzle person, but every time we have an extended break, uh, my wife likes to do a puzzle. And uh, she's so cute. <laughs> she has this love-hate relationship with puzzles. I don't know if any of you can relate to that. Like, she loves puzzles, but she kind of hates them until she can get them done. And so she'll, she'll have our whole dining table is taken up. We're eating the TV trays and just like roughing it all Christmas break. That's a window into our house because of this puzzle until she can get it done. Now, even though we don't do puzzles a lot, we've learned a lot about puzzles. And we've learned that, and you guys who are puzzle uh, builders, you know this, that you don't just start randomly putting pieces together in the middle of the puzzle. That's, that's dumb. Who does that, right? No, how do you start a puzzle? The corners, the edges, the colors, right? You get all those in place first, and then everything else seems to fall into place after that. And that's not just the way it works in puzzles. That's the way it works with Ikea furniture. Come on, somebody. That's the way it works with life, right? If you put what's supposed to go first in that first slot, then everything else can fall into place. And the opposite is also true, right? If you, if you put what's supposed to go second or third or fourth or fifth into that first place, then you'll just have chaos. And, and the reason I tell you that is because as we look at Scripture, what we see in Colossians chapter 1 is that Jesus and a relationship with Jesus, coming to church, prayer, studying his word, that's not just important. That's meant to be preeminent. Colossians 1 says that Jesus is preeminent over and above all creation, meaning he's first place over and above all creation. And when we put him first, everything falls into place. That's why in Matthew 6, it says, seek the kingdom first, seek Jesus first, and all these other things will be added unto you as well. But if we don't put him first, if we even well-intentioned in a new year with giving full effort and discipline to like our financial goals and, and our physical goals and our vocational goals, if we say, hey, I'm gonna put these things first because I really wanna get better at these things in 2024, no matter how well-intentioned you are, no matter how hard you try, if you're putting what should be second, third or fourth or fifth into first place, you're gonna have chaos and nothing else will work in your life. And so we wanted to, as we started the year, we wanted to intentionally put God first because that's where he goes. And so we, we're doing this series, Pray First. And pr- really practically, here, here's how we wanna practically put God first and put prayer first in our lives. We wanna come every week of this series. It's three weeks long. And so I would challenge you, man, make sure you're here. If you're not here, watch the sermon on YouTube and engage, pray first, put God first in that way as you start the new year as you do this series, that you wouldn't just come and sit here on a Sunday and listen to a sermon, but that you would dive in, that you would pray with us. We've given you a prayer guide to do just that. It says uh, the subtitle is 21 Days of Prayer. Today is the first day. We'll end the 21 Days of Prayers on the last Sunday of this series. And if you look through this, thumb through this, and I hope you do, there's a place to take notes today, but then every other day other than Sunday, there's prayers written by our leaders, people in our church. They wrote prayers unto God that you can read, be encouraged and edified by, that you can put into your own words and pray in your time with God. 
we're also inviting you to fast. Fasting isn't just removing something from your life, although it's part of that. It's removing some kind of meal from your life, sugar from your life, whatever you choose to do, social media. But it's not just removing, it's removing that thing and replacing it with prayer, with time with God. And that you would pick something for 21 days and say, hey, this thing has been getting in the way of me and God. I've been putting this second or third place thing, I've been putting it first place. I'm gonna bump it down a notch. I'm gonna fast from that and replace it with time with God. So we invite you to do that. And then every single week, just like every single week, normally in our year, we'll have our prayer team here on the left and on the right. At the end of every message, if you need to pray with other people, not go with this thing alone, you'll have the opportunity to do that as well. And I'm expectant, church, for what God will do with a church, with a a body of believers who come together and put God first, his rightful place as we start a new year. And so that's where we're headed in this series. And and we want you to be a part of that. We want you to be involved in the midst of that. And today uh, we're looking at this idea of praying first in our joy. Each week we'll be like, pray first in our joy, our need, our pain. Today is pray first in our joy. We're gonna be in Luke chapter 10. So grab a Bible and head there with me. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the row in front of you. You can always pull it up on your phone as well. Luke chapter 10, talking about praying first in our joy. And some context, because we're parachuting in here. Earlier in Luke chapter 10, this is where Jesus sends out his 72 followers on mission. And they do some crazy things. They cast out demons, and they start to realize this amazing power they have in Jesus' name. And they come back. In verse 20 of Luke chapter 10, they're rejoicing. And they're rejoicing primarily over this this new power they have over evil. And they come back rejoicing over that. And Jesus doesn't kill their joy, but he does redirect it. He, He says in verse 20, hey, don't rejoice over this power. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Basically rejoice that you have a, an eternal relationship with God the Father. Rejoice over that. And then he says this in verse 21. Look at it with me. It says, in the same hour he, that's Jesus, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed or happy are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Here's where we're headed. If you take notes, we're gonna talk about what it looks like to pray joyfully and what it looks like to pray intentionally. First thing is pray joyfully. If you look at the text, verse 21, look at that with me. You see Jesus rejoice in the Holy Spirit and then start praying to the Father. Now, there's several fascinating observations with that as I read this. One is, here's one of the places that you see the Trinity all represented at one time. Did you pick up on that? You have Jesus, the Son of God, praying to the Father, rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. This is where we get the doctrine of the Trinity. And so that's one thing. Another observation is this. What you notice is Jesus is rejoicing. His followers are rejoicing. But then he just starts praying. 
I would have loved to have been there in that moment. Like Jesus was talking to his followers. Maybe it was all 72 that went out on mission that had come back. Maybe it was just a select few. And he's telling them, he's redirecting, they're rejoicing. And then literally mid-sentence, mid-conversation, he just, God, I thank you. Father, I want to thank you. Like, has that ever happened to you? You're talking to somebody, maybe after church today, and you're like, man, this rain is crazy. Yeah, what'd you do over the holiday? Oh, you went out to eat with some friends. Oh, you started working out. Oh, that's great. And what if in that moment, they just impromptu started praying to God? Oh, God, we thank you for the rain. You're like, I, do, I, do I stand here still? Do I keep listening? Do I keep talking? Do I lay hands on this guy? Like, what do I do? That, if you can picture, that's what's happening here. And, and Jesus just breaks out into prayer as he's rejoicing. And that's just so interesting to me. Because for many of us, when we think about prayer, we don't think about joy, we think about guilt. Like many of you, you, you think we're gonna go three weeks on prayer and fasting. I, I don't do that very well. I, I'm intimidated by that. I feel guilty uh, about that. Prayer is a lot like exercise, right? It's something you know you should do, but you, you're frustrated that you don't do as often as you would like. Or you don't, do it as well. You don't know what to say. You get distracted like five seconds in, start looking at your phone, start planning your week. Anybody? And a lot of us, we think like prayer is just like this drive by, by guilt. And I just love that in this text, the whole context is around joy, not guilt. And I think a lot of this has to do with the way we see God. Again, try to picture this scene. Jesus is talking about rejoicing then he himself starts rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. Like, do you, do you see Jesus's face in this moment? Do you think he looked grumpy? Do you think he looked like a, a taskmaster with a robe on and a smug look on his face? I don't know how he rejoiced. Jesus was fully man and fully God. Jesus was rejoicing. Maybe he was smiling. Maybe he was laughing. I don't know. Maybe he was bent over. Like he was rejoicing in the Holy Spirit, people. I got a little bit charismatic. Like things were happening. And that's Jesus, God in the flesh. He's rejoicing. And my question is, do we picture God rejoicing? I don't think many of us do. I know for me growing up, I didn't. I grew up in the church, in the, the Bible belt, the, the buckle of the Bible belt in East Texas. And man, I was in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And I, I thought about God a lot because it was always kind of in my face. And I pictured God a lot, not even trying to. I just, I just pictured God and I thought of him as that taskmaster. I thought of him with that robe on, which is interesting that I thought he was angry with a robe on because most people, if you wear a robe, you're kind of happy, right? Go to a hotel, put on a robe. <laughs> okay, just me. But I just thought of God, he's got a robe on and he wants me to do a lot of things and he just seems angry all the time. Which, I, to be clear, I was an idiot. I was like 16 years old. I was an idiot. Like, that made sense that he was angry at me. But I was also a little confused that he was angry at me. Because I was this little 16-year-old kid in East Texas. I'm like, God, what's your problem with me? What's your deal with me? And I remember, like, I wouldn't pray to God. Because I always thought God was angry with me. And why do I want to talk to somebody who's, who I'm never measuring up to? Anybody else have that experience? And, and that all flipped for me in college. I really didn't get any of this idea that God is a God of joy until college. Until I read a book called Desiring God by a guy named John Piper and started listening to messages 
by this same guy. And he had this phrase that just like flipped me on my side. He said this, he said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And I thought, wait, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him? That, that he's not just angry at us and we don't have to be just solemn and out of duty, read Bible verses and come to church and just try to make it in this world. No, God's actually, God actually wants our joy and he gets glory when we have our joy in him. And that, that wrecked me, that mind blown moment because I never heard that before. And I remember reading the, Western, uh, uh, the Westminster Catechism and it said, hey, what is the chief end of man? And it said it this way, the chief end of man is to know God and enjoy him forever. And I remember I read that, and I just said, that's not the faith, that's not my chief end. And that just blew my mind. And I remember I, I, did, I didn't wanna just take the Westminster Catechism word for it, John Piper word for it. Like I wanted to go read the words of God and see, is that true? And to be honest with you, I grew up in the church, but I'd never really done that. And so I just ventured off into God's word and I read verses like in Philippians chapter four where we're literally commanded to rejoice twice. The apostle Paul, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. There's not many times where commands are repeated consecutively like that in scripture. And yet it is that way with rejoice. And I read that and I thought, okay, so it's not just a suggestion I'm commanded to rejoice. It's wired within me to rejoice as a believer in Jesus. I read texts like Psalm 16, that in the presence of God, there are pleasures, not just for a little while, but forevermore. And that, that word pleasures, like that pleasure seems dirty. Pleasure seems sexual. Pleasure seems bad. It did to me at that point in life. But here I'm saying, no, Psalm 16, there's true pleasures and they last forever and they're with God in his presence, not outside of his presence in the culture, in sin and idolatry. No, it's actually when you worship the one true God, you experience real pleasure, real joy forever. I even read texts like Zephaniah 317. You know, Zephaniah, the book you skip in your yearly Bible reading plan. You shouldn't skip it. Here, here's one reason why. Listen to what it says. The Lord rejoices over you with gladness. Isn't that a little bit redundant? The Lord rejoices over you with gladness. Right, just make it, the Lord doesn't rejoice over you with grumpiness, okay? The Lord rejoices over you, how? With gladness. This is our God. And listen, I had like 50 other verses that I wanted to send the tech team, but we don't have time, Right? This is our God. He's a God of joy. And yet as I look at Christianity, as I look at my life, as I look at our lives and our churches, this is typically not what marks us. Otherwise, all your friends would come to church. Otherwise, you would pray because you wouldn't see prayer as a guilt thing. You would see it as a joy thing, amen? If we saw God like this, like the God of joy that we see in scripture, you and I would, would pray. If we saw Jesus like this, when you look at the life of Jesus, we just celebrated Christmas, right? And many of you know the story in Luke chapter two, the angels show up to the shepherds and their first announcement that God in the flesh has arrived on the scene, entered into human history. Their first announcement is, hey, I have good news of great, what? Joy for all the people. 
That's his arrival. And then you go to the cross, you fast forward to the cross. Hebrews 12 says it this way, that Jesus goes to the cross. Why? For the joy set before him. His ministry is, even his death, is bookended by joy. And yet, as as I look at the landscape in 2024, no, it's the culture that has the joy and the church is boring. It's the culture, it's the sin, it's the pleasure, it's the pornography, it's the addiction, it's the the new shiny car, it's the 401k, it's the bigger house, it's it's all these things, they have the joy. And I'm gonna try to resist that joy and that pleasure and I'm gonna come to church and I'm gonna suck it up, and I'm gonna white knuckle it, and I'm gonna read my Bible, I'm gonna do it in a year, and I'm not gonna give up this time in Job. And I'm gonna pray, and he said to read this every morning, I can probably do that for five minutes. (laughs) Something is off, amen? The joy's not out there, the joy is in here. The joy is in Jesus Christ. That's why he came. And somehow we've gotten off of that. And, and I'm here to tell you in the beginning of 2020, 2024, 2020, I'm a little bit excited about this joy. <laughs> we need to get back to the joy in Jesus. And we need to start associating prayer, not with guilt, but with joy. So as I, as I hold this up, man, this isn't like to beat you over the head with it. It's a prayer guide to help you find your joy. As you push aside some second and third, fourth and fifth priorities that you're honestly putting first in your life right now, that you would set those aside, you put God first. And as you do that, you'd realize you're putting joy first and that you would see it that way and that you would pray that way and you'd go to God that way. You'd come to church that way. What would God do in your life, in your prayer life, in your joy? if you treated it that way. All right, some amazing things, right? That's what it's all about. So the second thing is not just pray joyfully, that we would pray intentionally, that we would have a purpose and a practice of prayer that reflects this idea that God is a God of joy and that he is after your joy and that your purpose and your practice in prayer would reflect that. Let me ask you a question. What is the Christian life all about? I know for me, again, as a kid growing up in the church in Texas, I would have told you, hey, the Christian life is all about trying not to sin because I don't want God to be angry with me. And even once I kind of worked that out of my system, even when I went to seminary, I might have said, hey, it's to learn truths about God. And yet, again, as you, as you look at God's word in a place like John chapter 17, this other place where Jesus prays, in John 17, verse three, he, he says, as he's talking to the Father and praying, he's praying for you. He prays for the current believers. He also prays for the future believers. He's praying for us in this room right before he goes to the cross. And he says explicitly, God, this is eternal life, that they may know and the one you have sent. It's the chief end of man is to know God, to enjoy him forever. What's the Christian life about? Relationship with God. It's knowing God. 
It's taking joy in God. It's cultivating a relationship with the God of the universe who hung the stars in the sky and set the planets in motion that he wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And did you know as he prayed that prayer in John chapter 17, as he went to the cross, he knew all of your shortcomings. He, he knew all the ways that you would fail. He knew all of your brokenness and messiness. And he still said, hey, this is what it's all about. I want to know these people. I want to have relationship with these people. You hadn't done anything righteous at that point. You hadn't gone to church at that point. You hadn't memorized Bible verses at that point. You hadn't prayed at that point. You hadn't prayed with eloquent words at that point. You hadn't prayed for a certain amount of time at that point. And yet he wanted relationship with you. That prayer is about a joyful relationship with God. We see that in Luke chapter 10. Look at the text. Four times in these four verses, you know what Jesus calls God? Father. Father. I always think about that. I mean, God could have given us any, any imagery about himself. He could have said to call him anything in the New Testament. And yet over and over again, it's Father, Father, Father. Jesus, the Son, calls him Father. You and I are in Christ. If you put your trust in Christ and you call God Father, it's about a relationship. And listen, that has massive implications on your prayer life. That if you view God as Father, as a relationship, and the point of prayer is that, then prayer is no longer a ritual. It's about relationship. Prayer no longer has to be a dissertation. It can just be a conversation. I'm a dad. I'm a father. I have three kids, 14, 11, and eight. And did you know, my kids, they don't have to make an appointment to talk to me. I know some of you thought, yeah, they probably do, Tim. You're kind of a big deal. And uh, you would be wrong. I am not. My, my kid, like my oldest daughter, 14 years old, she'll text me just in the middle of the day. And I may be working, I may be in a meeting, but she'll text me and then she'll do this. Uh, kids, she'll put a question mark uh, emoji on the text if I don't respond in five minutes. Why does she do that? Because she's my daughter and I'm her father. My eight-year-old, she won't do that. She doesn't have a phone, praise God. Um, but after the service, she's gonna be running around. You'll probably see her, her name's Tanavi. And she's gonna come up to me 100% guaranteed because she always does it every single Sunday. I'm gonna be talking to somebody else, maybe praying with somebody else, maybe talking about something really serious. And you know what she's gonna do? As my eight-year-old daughter, she's gonna come up and tug me on the arm and say, dad, 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 look what we did in kids ministry today. Dad, are we leaving yet? Dad, can I go in your office and get some snacks? Why she do that? She didn't make an appointment with me. She didn't schedule it with my assistant. How dare her? No, well, she, she's my daughter. I'm her father. And so I, what I love about Jesus is in this moment, again, picture the moment, he's talking to maybe 72 people that were following him. And he stops mid-conversation with them. I'm gonna try to do this with my kids in the new year. I, he stops mid-conversation with them. And he just starts Father, I thank you. <laughs> and he doesn't care that he just weirded everybody out. He's just like, it's my father. I'm just talking to him. It's a conversation. It's not a dissertation. You don't have to have an appointment. And you, if you are in Christ, you have the same access to God like that. 
You can talk to him in the shower. You can talk to him in the car. You can talk to him out loud in front of people and weird people out. However you roll. (laughs) You can talk to him anytime because it's about a conversation with a God who enjoys relationship with his kids. Prayer's about relationship. And if prayer is about relationship, it's not just about going to God spontaneously in prayer. It's about going to God consistently in prayer. My wife and I, we've been married 17 years. And just imagine with me for a moment that if I told my wife, hey, baby, I love you. 17 years, been the joy of my life being married to you, this relationship that we have. And I was just thinking like in 2024, one of our new habits, one of our new year's resolutions would be like, let's just... uh, let's just talk for an hour once a week on a Sunday. Let's just engage, you know, like I'll be around the whole week, but let's not talk. Let's not spend time together. How how, do you think that goes for your pastor? Yeah, y'all, I need more than prayer at that point. RIP, Tim Birdwell, lead pastor, right? It wouldn't work. Why? Because my wife and I are in a relationship together. Therefore, we need to talk every day. We need a dialogue every day because we're in relationship with one another. And so how do we think we're going to grow in our relationship with God? How do we think we're going to see God rightly as a God of joy, as a God who we can call father and we are his kids? How do you think you're going to foster that and cultivate that if you just talk to him one hour a week out of your 168? And you spend all those other hours, again, putting those second and third and fourth and fifth things in, in the place of God and, and, and figuring out your workout schedule and figure, all these good things, your finances. Listen, I know we're all doing that at the beginning of the year. And I know we'll all flunk out by February 14th, statistically. <laughs> but, but we're all right now, like some of you, you're measuring your food as you wake up in the morning. Come on. You're booking your appointments at the gym to make sure you get in on time to sweat and experience pain. Like, but with our prayer life, with time with God, we're like, ah, whenever I get to it. We, we schedule time with the most important, with the first relationships in our life. You schedule time, you calendar, you dedicate it. I just wrote down, you choose a time, you choose a place, and you pick a plan. A time, a place, and a plan. How do you put God first? How do you do all? You pick a time, a place, and a plan. You figure out your schedule. Hey, is it morning? Is it night? Is it noon? You pick a place. For me, it's my my chair in my living room in front of a fireplace. It's a fake fireplace. Don't be envious, right? It looks like a fire, so it's kind of got some ambiance, but it gives me some warmth, warmth in this time in Phoenix, right? But that's my spot. I know that's my spot. What's your spot? Where are you gonna spend time with God? How are you going to do that daily? What's your plan? I wrote down a few ideas. One is this prayer God. Go through this over the next 21 days. Write down what you're going to fast from in your prayer journal and actually stick to that. Invite other people into that process. Join a community group. Jump into a class. All the habit studies, I've read a couple of them this week as we start the new year and everybody's thinking about habits, including your pastor. And all the habit studies show that you get success, not when you do it alone, but when you do it together in a group. Like that's why uh, CrossFit is so cultic, (laughs) right? Because it's like this, if you get in a community, you actually stick with it. 
It's the same way with your prayer life, same way with God. Like what would it look like this year if you picked a time and a place and then you picked a group of people, maybe a community group, maybe a class, maybe just some friends in this room, maybe family members, and you just said, hey, we're gonna go through this prayer guide and what if we just text each other once a week and, and talk about what we're learning? What if we just did that? What if we got coffee every once in a while? What, what if you did that? How would that change your prayer life? How would that change your relationship with God? How would that change the way you put God first and keep him first throughout the year as you have accountability to do that? And there's Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, pray like this. You can model your prayer life after that prayer. There's John 17, as he prays to the Father, you can read those prayers out loud to God. You can go through this prayer guide. There's this other acronym, ACTS, A-C-T-S. This just goes through adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Some of you are thinking, Tim, I don't, I don't know where to start with prayer. Use something like that. Man, I, I started with this the other day. Again, spontaneously, I was taking my son to flag football practice. And to be honest with you, my, my life in that moment wasn't marked by joy. It was marked by stress, exhaustion. And I'm walking up to the football practice with my son, And to be honest, I was just trying to get some work done while he was at this practice. And then there was this sunset. And I just started to like bask in the glory of God in that moment and just look up, literally look up away from my phone and say, man, God, you're you're so glorious. How do you do this? And how do we get to see this every day in Phoenix? Come on. And I just started to pray right then. And you can go in a time of confession and thanksgiving and supplication. Write those down. Pray those out loud. Whatever you need to do, pick a time, place, have a plan as you pray. Listen, as we see Jesus' life marked by joy, as we see this, this concept of Hebrews chapter 12, that he went to the cross for the joy set before him. I mean, I've always heard that, but this week it just came afresh with some new meaning for me. I just thought, what, what must that have been like? for Jesus to go to the cross for joy set before him. See, Jesus had experienced every joy you could imagine. Jesus was perfect. He was in heaven, had a perfect relationship with his father. Jesus was there in creation. He got to speak the the planets into being, the stars in the sky. He got to hang those like ornaments on a Christmas tree. He got to form mountains like the Rockies. And just say, hey, yeah, we're going to do it. Make a jagged edges like this. Mount Everest, let's throw that thing up there. Waterfalls, let's do that thing. Like how joyous must that have been? How joyous must it have been for Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, to be perfect with his heavenly father and the Holy Spirit, the triune God in perfect community where they don't hurt one another. They don't passively, aggressively offend one another like we do. They were in perfect relationship. What joy might have been there amongst all the host of angels in heaven. And yet Jesus goes to the cross. Why? For the joy set before him? What was that joy? It was joy of obedience to the Father. But it was also joy of knowing you and I would be brought into a perfect relationship with him as well. That's God. That's the God who wants you to pray first. He's worthy of that, amen? Let's restructure our lives so that we experience that God, the God of joy, who wants to know you, who wants to have a relationship with you, who wants you to come to him. Let's experience that God as we start the new year. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you 
for the joy that we have in Jesus. God, I pray this morning that all the things that maybe we're putting in that first slot, God, we would just repent of right now. We would just start talking to you spontaneously. You're a father. You already know the things. And God, some of us, would, we would just repent and just say, God, I've been putting my health, I've been putting my, my body, I've been putting my, my finances, I've been putting some sinful pleasures over and above you. And God, I just, I repent, I turn away from those things. I wanna put you first in my life. And God, I, I pray that we would adore you. We would thank you for being a God who rejoices over sinful and broken people like us. And God, that would amaze us. That would cause us to worship you. That would cause us to talk to you and spend time with you. God, help us to see you rightly and worship you as a response to the way we see you. God, we thank you. It's in the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen.